Hi, I'm Warren Davies, the Unbreakable Farmer, and welcome to the Beyond the Back Paddock podcast, where I have the privilege to be joined by some amazing people I get to meet in my travels and share their stories and wisdom with you. After all, one of the most powerful assets of any community is the shared wisdom, and the best way to share that wisdom is through storytelling. So sit back and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Beyond the Back Paddock podcast. Starting this podcast, it was all about bringing you stories of interesting people that I meet along the way and bringing them to the audience. Today's guest is no exception. Hailing from Cork in Ireland, um, my guest found her soulmate in Shepparton after a short stint of travelling. 18 years of her working life has been spent in leadership roles with vulnerable groups in the care industry. And after the home birth of her second child, decided to put her experience into practice and is now a doula, focused on providing families with support needed um, in childbirth and parenting, um, particularly with young families. Please welcome today to the podcast, Tess Manane. G'day, Tess. How are you? Hi, Warren. I'm really good. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure to to have you along. Um, we met at a, an event, um, a networking event in Shepparton not so long ago and, um, yeah, we had a good chat and, um, yeah, your story is very interesting and um, I'm, I'm looking forward to you sharing um, a few bits and pieces of your of your story. But I, I suppose first um, thing that really interests me is, I suppose, growing up in a different country, what was it like growing up in, in Ireland? Yeah, so I've been here like 11 years now, but it feels, it almost feels like I've been here longer. Um, like, I don't know why, but maybe because my whole life I have, yeah, just, it's, I've never felt at home maybe. Um, so yeah, living in Ireland was beautiful. It's a really gorgeous country. If you Have, have you ever been? No, never been there. Okay, so, so it's really it's, um, green. It's very yep. green. Um, and we love the crack. And there's lots of positives. It's a beautiful, beautiful place to live. I lived on the, like near the ocean. Um, but you know, it's quite like um, it's quite a religious country. Um, we're very small-minded in ways. A lot of Irish people, um when they live in Ireland, they can kind of adopt a lot of other people's um, beliefs, (laughs) say it nicely. Um, And, you know, there's just not a lot of free thinking. (laughs) So we, you know, we lived quite a middle class lifestyle. I, um, my dad always had money. Um, My mom was a stay at home mom when she was, um, when she had us. Um, but I don't really remember a lot about my childhood, which is really um, sad because I did learn some new things recently because I went back um, just a few months ago um, and I looked at photographs and things like that. But yeah, I don't remember loads, which is a shame. Yeah. 
Is that uh, just is I that think, just from having a, a bad memory, or is that just something? I think I think a lot of the bad memories that came later overshadowed. Um, yep. Probably a good childhood that I had. You know, my mother was quite. Um, she was really happy to have me, and they it was they had just been married for a year in the eighties, eighty six. I was born, and there was lots of positives for her to have me and like I was all she ever wanted kind of things um but people are my mom has passed away and what they have described to me is that she nearly had too high expectations of what motherhood would look like and when it wasn't meeting her expectations um yeah it crushed her and then when she had my brother she had postnatal depression apparently and she couldn't breastfeed for a medical reason to do with my brother and yeah it's just she couldn't cope with that apparently so she started drinking and she became an alcoholic in the 90s and right into my teenage life she was really really bad for 10 years and then she was really sick and then she died so Mm. it overshadowed a lot of my childhood that was probably a good seven years or whatever eight years of my life can't remember a lot of those times so it's a shame it's overshadowed by the just remembering your mum as a an alcoholic and and those bad times yeah there's lots of lots of that kind of yuckiness you know which which I have gotten to peace with and there's been lots of healing um, and she, you know, I've like spoken to people about her and how amazing she was. Yeah. But it's also, it's my experience and my perception, isn't it? Like, I can't remember if yeah. that was a good time or not. Uh, it's um, it's an interesting thing because um, we'll discuss that a little bit later on um, in your story as well. But, um, you know, a lot of... Uh, women go through through this and like in particularly in rural communities I've found um, you know struggle you you have people come up to you at speaking events and that and they talk about you know (laughs) events in their life and whether that was having a child or whatever and then you know something wasn't going right you know either in their business or on their farm and then that creates this you know this spiral out of control and um and and people sometimes just don't access access the help that they need or can't access the help that they need to be able to 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 get them you know back and functioning um you know back normal or back as much normal as you, normality as you can and that's unfortunate so what happened once your mum passed away um which was would have been mm. you know even though there was probably bad times leading up to that, would have still been a tragic event in your life. So what happened then um, with your family? Well, I was 20 years of age. So my dad and her had already divorced, you know, seven years previous or something. So um, he had remarried and had three other children. So life changed, but not like a lot because we had already not been living with her and things like that so she died and then there was it was kind of a catalyst of nearly like a relief that she had gone to a more peaceful place in her life and then I think I just probably internalized it and 
um, started sabotaging my own life um, with partying. And I mean, that's how I look at it now. But back then, it was the best time of my life. I was, you know, <laughs> living in, <laughs> living out of home, doing what I wanted with not much family to check on me and yeah I had a great time but then I ended up in university at 22 I had kind of dabbled in some social care work and I had done like you know a year's TAFE type course and they were like pushing me to uni and I was like oh no I'm not a uni kind of person and I just went anyway because university in Ireland is free pretty much you don't have to pay and so dad was pushing me and pushing me. So I went and then I just smashed it. I thought it was easy because I had all this life experience and worked in the area already. I was like, oh, yeah, this is just, you know, what I'm doing anyway. So I just got this really good degree. I got like a distinction every year yeah. while partying and doing crazy yeah. things. Um, going to every festival, I'd say, in the whole of Europe. Uh, and then I just, at 26, I finished. And I was like, I'm not staying in Ireland. This is like crap. You get long hours, no money. Even with that degree, I was like, the prospects are sh- like crap. Yeah, I'll just go and see what it's like overseas. And my brother had been in New Zealand um for a year and I was like let's meet up in Thailand and have more fun and then we'll go to Australia so that's what we did <laughs> we did yep. two months in Thailand two months in Thailand so, yeah my mm. god <laughs> I know Def- definitely a party animal <laughs> mm-hmm that time they, my life is gone. <laughs> they, they, yeah, they see they see Irish people coming in and rub their hands together because they know that they're party animals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we definitely live up to that stereotype. So that, so that was yeah, like the start, I suppose, of your little travelling journey, and that's landed you yeah. in. Did you end up in New Zealand? You went to no, New Zealand. No, just, just went straight Thailand. to Australia. Oh, I did do a little stopover in Malaysia and Philippines. Um, yep. But yeah, I've since I come here, I, I've stayed here. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so when you landed in Australia, what was what were your thoughts? Where where were you heading, and what were you going to do? So I was shocked. I was really overwhelmed. I ended up staying with a cousin in Melbourne because I spot. I suppose as well, the two months of like backpacking Thailand would have completely fried my nervous system as well so I had just landed here going what is this and like what do I need to do to get a job like it was actually so overwhelming that I had to do all these extra things just to work because of the type of work that I do I had to get yeah. police checks and working with children checks and needed a tax file number like it was all too much for me and I just remember my cousin just looking at me like, are you okay? I was so, my nervous system was shot. I was a mess. I'll, I will, she will testify that those three weeks in her house was was mental because I was mental. So luckily she accepted me for who I was. Fairly knew her as well. 
I'd yeah. only met her like three times in my whole life because she had been here and away for most of her life. And, you know, blood is thicker than water. She just took us on, me and my brother. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was just crazy. Like, he ended up working on a farm in Sale. And we just followed him down there to kind of find work, but it didn't work out. Yeah. And we ended up in Shepparton somehow. Yeah. We got a number for a farm up here and uh, ended up packing apples and pears out in Califatis. Okay. So started. Yep. So, so that was like pretty much the start of my journey in yeah, Australia. So, so you you've landed in Shepparton. I just go. I want to go back just a little bit when you were talking about when you landed in Australia and your your nervous system was fried, do you now, was that just from the travel, you think, or do you think that was some of that that baggage that you were carrying from, you know, Ireland. growing up? I think it was but, just, yeah, a combination of my whole life, um, all the stress and suppression and the types of, good girl activities I was doing to live up to the standard of Irish woman had unraveled in Thailand (laughs) unwillingly and then I got here and I kind of maybe felt safe I think with my cousin as well she's she's a really accepting like highly developed woman I was like oh this is yeah, I just felt safe, I think, and I was like maybe just totally triggered too by the fact that I had moved 10,000 miles away. Yeah. I mean, there was so much in it. I look back now and I'm like, that was crazy. Like what I did, I kind of just decided and left. Not a lot yeah. of people do that. No. So, and, and yeah, I don't know, it was a combination. Yeah, so and that just kind of all, yeah, it kind of showed up once mm. you were under a little bit of stress, and I can relate to that. Um, so you've landed in yeah. Shepherd and what happened? And you're <laughs> packing apples and pears. That's a, you've moved across. I'm living the with thirty, and living with thirty other women. Yeah. <laughs> so they put me in a hostel, a working yeah. hostel at Califatis with thirty other backpackers. Yeah. Most who were Irish. And it was just mental. I have never in my life experienced anything so character building, I'll call it, than living with 30 other women my same age with two toilets and going to work seven to seven every day. Like it was, wow. (laughs) And like factory work is hard, right? Like I have never experienced that kind of work either. So that was a whole new level of um you know just it was energetically hard it's really it's really interesting getting that perspective because um doing particularly during covid and uh, and obviously managing dairy farms as well you know dealing a lot with backpackers and especially in the last few years when i was working on the tomato farm and they'd come from the hostel every morning and run up to work and you'd hear about the the wild parties and all that but at the same time they're living away from home I'm just thinking it's like it's so different to what I would have been able to do or handle um you know it was just it's like a big adventure and a lot of them um 
those people, you know, that I become fairly friendly with some of them, um, they've just stayed in Australia the same because they just loved it. And it was, um, it's developed from, from, you know, doing such, you know, cause they'd leave after doing a 12 hour shift and they would buy, but, basically couldn't drag themselves into the car they were that tired and then they'd go I know. to a chica and hit the pubs and do the all the party stuff and then front up again the next morning <laughs> i know i i look back now and i'm thinking how in the hell i did it all but you know you just i don't know it's in us or something it's like this resilience yeah um that you know I mean, I questioned myself so many times. I used to ring my dad and say, what am I doing working on this fucking like farm, packing pears for these fucking blah farmers? Sorry, excuse my French. I have a degree. I used to like go there. I was like this prestigious, privileged white person, like talking shit to my dad. He was like, well, you look back on this one day and you'll think it was a great experience. And I was like, whatever i'm getting out of here but i couldn't because yeah. we had to do three months <laughs> yeah and so like it was so i went there i was like so depressed at some stages but it was it, you know it was an amazing experience i ended up staying there for five months <laughs> and i was running the place at one point <laughs> yeah and that's what happens i identify leaders and then you can't leave they won't <laughs> let you go <laughs> oh yeah it was great <laughs> So that was obviously just out of Shepparton and you're still in Shepparton now. So what happened next? Well, I actually moved to Melbourne um, to be with a man, stupidly. Uh, and then I got a job with Berry Street. So I've worked for Berry Street on and off now for eight years or something. Um, I'm still currently employed with them technically, but I have left my um, bigger position. But in Melbourne, they tried to sponsor me and it wouldn't work. So there's this weird salary cap that they want you to be meeting in a mel in a metro area. So they made so they made me an offer to go regional. So I picked Shepparton, <laughs> obviously. Uh, and also, I had made a really good friend here, who I knew would stay because she was marrying the farmer. So I come back here and ended up in leadership in Berry Street in a resi unit and that was eye-opening but again it really messed up my nervous system because of the high risk uh, high demand type of job it was but I was resilient enough to cope you see we get go back into these patterns of oh I can do this because this is nothing because I come from this <laughs> Uh, and I lasted 18 months and then I got another better role in a nine to five job. I'm not really sure how I got it, to be honest, but my boss will tell you that I was very enthusiastic and I had all the right answers in the interview. But I took a risk and I applied for a really higher level role and I got it. And then I worked at the youth foyer in um, Shep there for since it opened we opened it together me and anita and um i just left last year so it's been eye opening my career can you tell me a little bit about the foyer because i'm very interested in the foyer yeah. i've been been there yeah of course. Um, it's such a great place um and uh can you tell it for people that don't know about the foyer in shepparton yeah. just um fill us in a little bit yeah so the 
education first youth fire is a facility of 40 beds for young people who are at risk of homelessness so they can be from age 16 to 24 and they have to be willing to engage in education or employment so we house them they pay a little bit of rent and then mainly everything else is covered within that rent and then they get a worker attached to them who we have 24-hour staff who are on site which is amazing for a youth facility and then they do coaching so we coach them in a certificate one of developing independence which has been like made for the foyer it's owned by the brothers of St. Lawrence in Melbourne and then they do that alongside their other education and they can stay for two years and they can just get their life on track and just move through all the opportunities that we provide for them because we bring in business we bring in like you know volunteering we bring in all different social connections that they would have never probably gotten in another type of youth facility facility um yeah and we just we go over and above for our young people i'm talking as if i'm still there but it's um it was just the most amazing experience of my life and i've learned so much from those young people and i do miss it but i yeah it's an amazing place (laughs) so is that the when you say like it was such an amazing place it's uh, probably the the two-way learn. oh it still is i mean uh the the two-way learning i suppose that you get from from the 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 people that you the youth that you're coaching you you probably learn just as much from them as what they're teaching or that you're teaching them well i was the team leader so I, i was coaching the staff to coach the young people so yeah, it was a very interesting role to be in because I used to have to manage young people, but also manage um, that adults. So yeah, I've learned so much. I um, have grown so much from that role. Um, and I'm really grateful for my leadership boss who I worked with there in Ada McCurdy because she, she's just my idol. Amazing person. And she's a woman. Anita. And Nate is an amazing person. Yes, um, yeah. I'm lucky enough to have met her a number of times. She's uh, and and the foyer does such fantastic work. And uh, unless you actually step inside that building, you would not know what it is or what it offers. And it's what just it yeah, it's just a, an amazing place to have in a regional community. It so is. moving on from that, tell us about. Um, finding your soulmate in Shepparton, <laughs> which hence why you're still in Shepparton. Mm, yes, well, I was only meant to do two years, but I ended up staying for the job. <laughs> um, but yeah, I met Tony around the same time I got the job at the foyer in 2016 when that um, program started. I met Tony at the same time um on online and you know how else do you meet anyone these days and I was just lucky I think because he had only been single a very short period so I just caught him in the nick of time and we connected and yeah it was just kind of a whirlwind romance from the get-go um he is yeah he has changed my life for the better so we have two young children now and I have a beautiful stepson as well. 
who he brought into my life. So we are a very busy family of five with all boys. All boys. So it's, uh, well, it's only mm. going to get more fun as they get older. God, I know. <laughs> so tell me, that one, of your, um, one of your sons was born at home. Did you have a home yeah, birth? Yeah, it was Leo, the last one. Yeah, he's two now. Um, I had I had my other son in the hospital, and I had a good experience up to the uh, after the birth in the ward. I had a bad experience, so th- I wanted to really avoid the hospital during COVID as well. So he was due in September twenty one. And I remember at 25 weeks pregnant, I went to see a documentary called Birth, Birth Time. Have you seen that? Probably no. It's a really, really good documentary about birth. And I just cried the whole way through it. It was in the cinema too. And I was like, oh my God, I have to have a home birth. So like, you know, we just have this moment. Like I would have never really have thought about it before. I kind of did, but I was like, it's not realistic. Like Tony will never approve. The whole, the whole good girl in me was like, I can't even make that happen. I'm not sure where I go for that. So I didn't even care about all that after that documentary. I just went home and I was like, we're having a home birth. <laughs> Tony was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I don't care how it happens. It's going to happen. I'm going to make it happen. He was like, what the hell? I was like half, you know, halfway there <laughs> already. So. On the same day that 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 had happened, my midwife, who I had with my previous son, who worked for the MGP program, which is like a midwife program in the hospital, she resigned. So I was like, call from heaven. Like, she's gone. I'm going this way. (laughs) So it was really interesting how it all happened. And then I rang a private midwife and connected with her straight away. And she's actually from the UK originally. And it was just all meant to be. And then yeah. I had the best experience ever. Like, the best experience ever. Completely hands-off delivery. Like, delivered him myself in a birth pool in the lounge room right there. So, yeah. I, I hands down, I'm an advocate now for birth. But I'm, I'm an advocate for safe birth, according to the woman. So, whatever or wherever the woman feels safe or wherever she wants to give birth or feels empowered, that's where she should be. And it doesn't matter how or where or, you know, like it doesn't matter the details or if they take drugs or if it's in a hospital or if it's at home, it matters about how she feels. So that's what I want to do now. I want to like bring women to that point in their life. (laughs) So after that, so after that, positive experience was it all smooth sailing from then well pretty much like leo was a really good baby i think he was born into such a calm environment and a positive experience that there was nothing really was that mental like i feel like he was yeah um like maybe a lesson or a growth for me but when I had my first child four years ago, four and a half years ago, um, I definitely didn't have the same experience. So 
because of the separation after he was born, I felt like I was always, I don't know what the word is. Maybe I was really kind of like my nervous system and I was scared and anxious. I was on edge, I would say. Like, so he didn't sleep for the first 11 months of his life and neither did I. (laughs) So I was a mess. And I didn't get help at all. I was just masking that uh, I was fine. And you weren't fine? You weren't fine? First child was terrible. No, I wasn't at all. I was, like, angry. I was, like, you know, at the point where... I would hold him and look at him and like, you know, have these terrible thoughts. So the breastfeeding was kind of like not helping that situation either because we weren't getting any sleep. He was breastfeeding a lot. I had to give give it up. And then when I got the help for the sleep at 11 months, so we went through 11 months of him waking every two hours. Um, when he, we finally got some sleep help, that changed my life. And everything started to calm down. But then he got a really bad case of eczema. Maybe, and I blame, it, in, my intuition <laughs> blames the fact that he had this whole year of mental, I mean, unpredictable mothering, I would call it, yeah. from me. <laughs> And then he was really frustrated with with the sleep training. And then I think his anger erupted it out his skin. That's what I believe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I was another like six to nine months of me trying to heal that in him. So I was completely focused on that then. So it was, a, it was a really challenging two years of my first baby. But very challenging. Very challenging. But then... um. Then you've had a had a great experience with Leo, which is kind of yeah. led into the healing. work that <laughs> the healing. Um, but yeah, but you've had a great experience, yeah. which is he led. It's he... led into what you do now. Um, and as I said yeah. in the intro, um, you're a doula, a birth doula. I so, am a doula. Yeah, and, and it's not so, a very common word, is it? <laughs> that's not, and that was one of the interesting things because um, I think we said this that when we were having the conversation that night, like you hear of death doulas, but you don't hear of a birth doula. Yes. And, but doula in oh. just doula anyway is just one of those words that you don't hear too often. So do you want to explain what a doula is? And I what, will. And what in does my, a doula, in my own what, words? In your own words, so you're now. So, um, this is what you do, or this mm. is your you're yes. building a tribe and 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 wanting to give um, women a positive experience with their birth. So, yes, you 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 tell me what a doula is in your words and what you do. Well, I believe that doulas connect women in a community whether that is in birth or in their postpartum period we have a way of connecting women in with either the sisters they need the family they need or the education that they need 
so we are very resourceful, like me. I'll talk about me. I am very resourceful with how I adapt myself for each family. So each family has different needs. And when they book in with me, we will just assess them where they're at in that present moment. And I'll just find little things that they need help with or that, you know, they want to up level on or, you know, the the dad is a little bit scared about this. So we will coach him around that. Like it's basically a coaching role, but it's specific to birth and postpartum. But what I have done now is like I'm a bit of an entrepreneur because I wasn't getting a lot of work because a lot of people maybe don't know what a doula is around shepherding. So I've started doing retreats for women and I've started doing mother's circles. So I found women's circles and I just loved them for myself and my own healing. And then I just started doing them myself. So now I'm facilitating women every Thursday to come to my house and meet with their babies and have a beautiful meditation and connection and maybe like a topic that we discuss. And um, every quarter I'll run a retreat for all women uh, to, you know, have a half day out of self-love and self-care and beautiful food and just just to be themselves away from the noise because that's what I wanted. And that's what I found eventually, probably a bit later on in my motherhood journey, but that's what I want you know, first time mums especially to kind of understand and that they don't have to do this alone and isolated in a rural community, which we live regionally, it's rural. And lots of women that contact me are from outside of Shepparton. So they're the ones that need the support. Yeah, so the ones that find it hard to either travel to Shepparton or access, because it is, and, and, and like it doesn't matter what community you live in now rurally, it's, it's hard to access um, mm-hmm. whether it's a doctor or a counsellor or a psychologist or anybody, it's just hard to access services. So you're, yeah. um, so you creating this safe space for people is, um, yeah, is 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 a quite a um, would be quite a good experience for them when it's such a struggle to you know be able to find people to to help them in a normal um, situation. Yeah, or even if I have to refer to other people, I've made enough connections now within this space that I can refer to people or you know get them what they need. Like I'm always I've always been that kind of person anyway. I'm like a connector, so like. My friends, they call me the godmother because I'll just come in and just connect people and then I'll just go away. <laughs> so I just have these all these like friendship groups where they've all met through me. <laughs> so that's just like how I am anyway. So I'm just trying to use those skills in a more positive way for women who um might be struggling in that area. Yeah. So that's what I do. So when you yeah, when you said about um, your um, your entrepreneurial side, and you weren't making business. So this is what you've decided now to create this this um, this service to to women and um, make sure that you know, as you said, use your your superpower, which is being a connector and making sure that these people are being able to tap into the resources that they need. Mm, yeah. 
by um, running these retreats. So, um, and and they they are just in your house, or you're doing them away from. Uh, what's what's the plans moving forward? As, the I, mind, um, as your mind's the, ticking I'm over. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing the mothers' groups at home because that's easier because it's every week, and I don't want to be logging stuff around. But the retreats are done usually at an external provider. So the next one coming up is next weekend on the twenty second, and I usually pick like a nice location. So Chef Osteo have a beautiful yoga room with like kind of a circular roof, and I just love it in there. So I'm running my half day retreat in there next weekend um but yeah I picked different spots like we ran one in a bell tent and called it the wild women's retreat last May um we rented like a massive bell tent you know like a teepee looking thing and we put that in my friend's backyard and we all sat in there and did like a wild women's retreat so that was amazing I'll do that again (laughs) But yeah, I'm all about the creativity. So yeah, I and think like you know, women running around for, um, forests naked is my next venture. But I'm not uh, sure. <laughs> you better um, warn, warn the police and that make sure no one gets arrested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it'll have to be a private property, won't it? It, it will have to be. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm just having visions of them running around in the yeah, bush um, between Marutner and Shepparton and there's yeah, people are riding down the bike Moira path. Park. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure, we can't now anyway. It's flooded, for God's yeah, sake. At the moment it's flooded, so we can't. Um, no. So bringing all that, all your story together is um, – with um obviously growing up and having some of those challenges do you what strategies or what things do you draw on from your past and and that yeah. that that help you um do what you do now and do it so well well i feel like there was a huge shift within myself when i met tony because he has lived a really alternative natural lifestyle his whole life so he kind of kicked my ass I would say and that's when I started learning all these other ways of being so that probably has really helped me become the person I am now I feel a lot more grounded and connected and just you know I don't really drink anymore and I'm very conscious of what we eat um, and drink and we're very low tox kind of family you know the the classic hippie kind of crunchy lifestyle um but that in itself has helped me change who I who I was like I had all these other beliefs in Ireland and now I have this whole new set of beliefs in Australia and all I ever wanted to do was protect my children. So it all comes back to that. And a big part of what I do now is empower women to understand that there's other ways of doing things and that you don't have to listen to the mainstream or the because your parents did it. Or And I'm talking very generally, but 
mainly in the health alternative space. And that has helped me loads kind of just ground back down. And I do lots of, um, like I've done therapy and stuff in the past, but it's never really helped. So I feel like doing coaching has probably changed my life. Being coached in the present moment with strategies to move forward is way more beneficial than dwelling on the past. Like I'm not going to be defined by my history. It's not who I am and I don't have to repeat those patterns. So, you know, I'm I'm ge- I'm changing a generation like I'm breaking that pattern now. Come from not a very good line of maybe, you know, women who die young, women who are alcoholics. I'm not I'm not going to be that person. I'm not going to repeat those patterns. So, something had to change. And um yeah, I had to do the work and I'm still doing the work. Like it never really goes away does it and I feel like I will always be doing the work especially now that the children can talk back they are reflecting some stuff to me (laughs) every day (laughs) so yeah there's lots of of work still to be done the worry the worry is is when they grab their backpack and say they're off to Thailand for two months that's when you'll have to start to worry (laughs) oh my god help me I know I don't know how my dad does it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so um just around that conversation off so you just said your dad so is your dad still alive yeah and, yeah alive and kicking five children deep and you um and i know from our conversation that we had um when we met that night that you have, you've only just gone back to ireland um recently which um and you hadn't been back for a long time yes yeah, when you years. when you when you got there was it different to what you what you were remembered or imagined or and was that a good experience no. going back it was it was very very similar not not much changes which which was nice to see in a way um yeah cuz my family are amazing and i loved seeing everyone and introducing my children to them no one had ever met Tony or my children except for my dad my dad has been here um so that was lovely you know and it's all about the people you know the place will never change um it'll progress and you know change as as generations do but um yeah the the place is very similar so it was a bit of um it was a bit bittersweet because I went back and stayed in the family home that my mum, you know, lived in. And, um, well, she didn't die there, but she was there when she died. And, yeah, it was a closing of a chapter, maybe, because it's now being rented out and we will probably never go there again. So that was nice to kind of close that energetically and have that time there with my family and show them where I grew up but also kind of like all right see you later now (laughs) thanks thanks very much so that was nice I think you know Ireland has got a really special place in my heart but it's the people that I miss so I don't miss the country so to finish off with I've got um, a couple of questions for you and um, the first one is your favourite music? Oh, I am obsessed with a band called 
660. They're a New Zealand reggae rock band. Um, and I just have always loved them since the minute I've heard um, them, them sing. So, yeah, that's my music, really. Reggae kind of soulful yeah. rock music. Very uh, interesting. I'll have to look them Random. up. Six sixty. No, it's um. Reg- yeah, S I X and then sixty. The numbers. Right. Okay. Change your what? life. Change my life. All right. Well, that's a that's a big tip. Is that we've got to listen to six sixty and that'll change your life. Um, what about a favorite quote? <laughs> have you got a favorite well, quote? Well, I'm obsessed with this um coach called Peter Crone. Have you heard of him? Peter Crone. And he, Peter Crone, he said recently that everything always happens exactly when it happens. And I was like, yes. It just made so much sense to me at the time. I was like, yes, it does. <laughs> so that, I like that one. Just so what's, like what, what sense does that make to you? I just feel like everything is teaching me to be present and just like accept things happening in my life for a reason and the universe only gives me what I can you know handle so yeah. I like it I like the way he puts it like it's just and you know we are kind of humans are funny how we think we can predict the future or you know that we have the audacity to kind of think that we know better but just being in the moment is is key to happiness like I believe so I'm like trying to just bring myself back into that all the time I just love the way he puts things very direct that's a good quote and that'll be worth looking up as well I've got that written down and I'll add that into the show notes and Last question, which gets people stuck. Um, other people that have been on the podcast have to have a real good think about this. But if you could invite five people to dinner, that um, well, we're not going to include family here, that are alive or dead, that you know that you would just like sitting around your dinner table to have a conversation with, who would they be? Well, Peter Crohn, I'm a bit obsessed with, so I think him, Jay Shetty. Love him as well. He's another um, worldwide coach, um, monk. Beyonce, I've always been obsessed with her. Just like, would love to speak to her about women empowerment and stuff that she has done. I just think she's awesome. Um, the lead singer of 660 is Matthew Walters. Obsessed with him. And you know what? I wrote my mentor's name, but I think I'm going to change it to my mom because she was an amazing person and her name was Frances Murray and she would have loads to say and contribute to that conversation. So I would invite her. Although she no. is family, but she is dead. But that's <laughs> so, that's, a, that's that okay. <laughs> no, that accounts. Okay. We can, we'll let we'll let you invite your mum along. Right, and that sweet. would and that would be a good conversation because as you said that um a lot of those memories that you had growing up you probably had lots of good memories but they were overshadowed by what yeah. you can remember and um so it would be good to have that conversation with her yeah i think it would be important <laughs> so if people want to find find you and 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 find out more about your services where do they where where can we find you 
I'm on all the social media platforms. So I go under Nurture Doula Tribe. I'm on Google as well. I have a website. Um, so I can send you the link, but it's pretty easy to find me. I'm pretty active on Instagram. Yeah. Put up a lot of stuff. So yeah, just send me a DM or um, I have a LinkedIn account with all my podcast as well. I have a podcast called the, oh, well, it's just Doula Tribe podcast. And so, yeah, just check me out. Spotify and Apple. Podcast. Oh, very good. Shameless oh, well, plug. No, that's that's fine. That's what it's all about. So people um, can look those up and, and check out your podcast and find out a bit more about what you do. But um, I thought it was a very interesting conversation to bring to my audience. So I really appreciate your time, Tess, and just, you know, um, keep up the great work and um, look forward to catching up with you again um, soon in Shepparton. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. It was brilliant. No problem. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining me on today's podcast and I appreciate any feedback and I look forward to you joining me on the next episode of the Beyond the Back Paddock podcast.